May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Gospel and some of the other scripture today remind me of some of the phrases um, you might hear when you're, you're really trying to achieve something or trying to do something and it just isn't being received or um, not working out. Phrases like, you can't win for losing. No good deed goes unpunished. Or things would be going great if they weren't going so poorly. Because in the gospel today, Jesus is looking at um, uh, those around him whom he and John the Baptist, two prophets of very different uh, demeanors and characters, two men who are trying to draw folks to God, and neither, neither one of them is being um, well received in this moment in time that the gospel captures. So, um, you know, Jesus is saying, a gentle, humble, kinder, not that he doesn't have his, his, his moments of righteous anger, but um, he is coming more gently. And many people um, understand that the children represent, uh, in, the, in the gospel parable today, that the children represent Jesus and John. Not everybody understands it that way, but that's how many people look at it. And so they, they, they understand John is uh, describe. I mean, Jesus is describing himself when he says, I played the flute for you, or the children played the flute and others would not dance. So, and then um, on the other side, he's describing John when he says, I um, called for mourning and you would not mourn, you would not wail. So two prophets, both calling um, to a closer relationship to God, and nobody seems to be paying any attention. They can't win for losing. They're rejected. Folks won't dance when the music is played, and folks won't weep at the funeral. So, what is the Son of Man and his cousin, John the Baptist, what are they to do? I am wanting to give a little side note here as well. I am slowly but surely writing my thesis um, on uh, uh, prophetic uh, women prophetic preaching and and I um, love how this opens up the understanding of prophetic uh, action in different ways there's not one model of um, of what is prophetic I'm getting sermons from written women all over the Diocese of Texas and for one, one preacher, just getting up in the pulpit in, say, Liberty, Texas, as an African-American 
woman priest just being there is a prophetic action. Just being who she is is a prophetic action. For another uh, woman, uh, challenging a very um, uh, literalist uh, Episcopal congregation by um, being herself as a, a married to another woman, raising three adopted children, just living her life trying to follow Jesus is prophetic action. In scripture, you could say Mary's uh, Magnificat about the hungry being fed and the um, uh, oppressors being overthrown are prophetic. In scripture, you could also say that Miriam's dance, just a woman expressing her joy at getting um, uh, her being with her people as they cross the Red Sea and flee from slavery as a prophetic action. And so I, I want to invite you all as you look or read or think about church today and the scriptures that are assigned for us to think about how um, your life and what you do is a way of making a statement about how God is showing up in this world. Are you showing up in places that are exclusive? Are you showing up in places that are um, um, full of, of tension and bringing um, words of hope and peace? Are you showing up with hope where there is despair? Zechariah, I love that phrase from his reading, from the reading from his, uh, the book of the prophet Zechariah, prisoner of hope. Are you uh, filled with hope even in these days when um, the values and virtues that we profess as people of faith seem to um, be um, being overcome by virtues of uh, winner takes all and um, um, exclusivity and um, just a hate that um, is somehow so familiar that people would rather stay in it than, um, or go back to it, than um, continue moving towards a community in which we are challenged because of differences, but we grow in understanding and creativity and our imagination and uh, the richness and depth of our life is um, made even more beautiful by the challenges and the questions that others ask us, by the challenges and the 
um, beauty, that, that looking and examining ourselves and the freedom that that brings. Instead of just saying there's nothing right and I don't want to dance, there's nothing right and I don't want to wail, instead of sticking somewhere in between there and neutrality, saying I will wail and I will dance with people. I will live this life full of passion and participation and kindness and love. And I will do that in the name of a God who has given us prophets and pastors and ancestors in the faith that show us who we can be and how we can be in a world that is meant always for more, in a world that is meant always to be revealing Christ's love and mercy and justice. So part of the gospel for today is a recalling back to the roots of our, um, of our faith story. And the passage in the gospel has a specific background in the Old Testament. The declaration that the Father and the Son know each other in an exclusive fashion takes us back to Exodus 33, where God knows Moses and Moses prays that he might know God. In the Exodus passage, we also find the promise of rest. Exodus 33:14 says, I will give you rest. Also, in deeming himself to be gentle, Jesus is taking up a characteristic of Moses. Also, we find that characteristic in Exodus and in Numbers. And in speaking of his yoke, Jesus is using a term often applied to the law given through Moses. So our gospel today, like so much coming out of the gospel of Matthew, presents the second redeemer, Jesus, as being like the first redeemer, Moses. And that reveals that Jesus is the revealer. We don't just figure something out about God and then that's it. Every phase, every point, every day that we're open to it in our lives, Jesus can reveal his love and truth and, 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 and gentleness and perseverance. He teaches us that he is the source of spiritual rest and tells us that he is humble and gentle. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that humility. And we may have experienced humiliation in the past, but it's very different than humility. Humility is the state of being humbled, which is often misunderstood. It is not a state of weakness, but of strength. It does not mean inferiority, resignation, or submission. These imply that we're still resisting our need for 
for rest and, and spiritual rest and help in Christ. When we are humble, we are totally willing to accept God's help, knowing that without it we cannot learn or progress further. We stay sitting when the music is played, or we stay silent when it's a time for wailing and mourning. In humility, we possess self-esteem. We accept ourselves as we are, assets and defects alike. And we extend the same acceptance to others. We don't try to make them in our image, but we try to make ourselves more faithful to the life and teachings of Jesus. Humility helps us to see our true relationship with Christ. So finally, in looking at these scriptures today, I couldn't help but remember uh, a quote that I used to love. Um, I still do, but I hadn't looked it up recently. And it's by um, a very, very complex and deep theologian but the image is very much um, one that is easy and simple to remember. In 1982, Karl Rahner, just two years before his death, wrote an article entitled, What Does It Mean to Love Jesus? And um, it is a dense article. But it, and it focused explicitly upon Christian's relation to his or her living savior. But Rahner insists, one can love Jesus, love him in himself, in true, genuine, immediate love. And he includes these remarkable words, we're actually only really dealing with Jesus when we throw our arms around him and realize right down to the bottom of our beings that this is something you can still do today. We are invited to embrace Jesus, embrace the message of the prophets past and present, to stand in that witness by embracing Christ and the other by doing things which we know are right even when they seem simple. It's one thing to talk about feeding the hungry. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to talk about giving new opportunities to kids. It's another thing to do it. We're hosting the summer jazz workshop here at Trinity and I was speaking with one of the teachers who um, works as the music teacher at one of uh, an excellent private uh, high school, middle and high school here in, uh, in Houston. And one day he was inspired to walk across the street and go to a school, an elementary school that had no music program at all because they didn't have the budget for it. And he and his advanced students this year have 
um, worked with the administration of that school and developed a music program for the school. They have embraced each other in something that is so fundamental to the health of our souls, sharing talent and music. And we, Trinity, support that work because 12 of those students have come here for the camp and they tell me, they walked up to me, Ms. Hannah, I play piano. They've only had piano for a couple months, but anyway, they're very, very self-confident. Ms. Hannah, I'm this or that. And our, our, by hosting free of charge this wonderful camp, we get to participate in that embrace of rich with poor, of, I'll just say it, mostly um, white with um, Latino students. How will you embrace God? How will you embrace Jesus? How will you be a prophet of where you are, showing up as yourself to declare the inclusion, the mercy, the love of God? How will you show up as you are and not sit out the dance or pretend like there's nothing to wail about and instead embrace God in the other so that this world might find some rest, some spiritual rest in the love and the mercy and the care that you show. Amen.